everybody and welcome to our latest episode of The Happy Hour, your palate cleansing podcast. I am Shayla Martos. I am Malachi Wade. I am currently sweating profusely in my office. At the time of recording, uh, we hit record levels of heat, which is not necessarily happy news, but it is news. It's so hot. Like, it's just, it's just so hot. Just in general, we're going to sound like two women sweating profusely well on a Zoom call. And that's just the reality of life. But yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, happy news stories. We are here. We are back. We had some great feedback on our Necessary Conversation episodes. Um, and we're definitely going to continue those. But we also think that sometimes you just need a little palate cleanser. You need something a little fun just to break all of the bullshit honestly just to take a moment for yourself hear some happy stories feel the happiness that we feel from researching these stories yeah we get so excited about them we just really want to share these malachi do you have something that you want to i do i would actually like to start the podcast off with a segment that i'm calling things my mom shows me on facebook (laughs) so As you know, and as most people probably know, there's been fires ravaging the Santa Cruz Mountains. Um, That is not happy news. It's quite uh, depressing, but I won't get into it too much. Uh, A lot of animals have been evacuated. Also sad, but we're getting to it, I promise. (laughs) Um, And a lot of people have been taking in these animals to their farms and large yards because people typically have a lot of land who don't live like right in the city. Yeah. So Birdsong Orchards, which is in Watsonville, uh, which is a city near Santa Cruz, they they have a few animals, um, and notably two llamas named Barack O'Llama and Michelle O'Llama. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is why I didn't tell you about these names earlier, because I needed your raw reaction. <laughs> Barack O'Llama. Oh, that honestly... <laughs> That honestly alone is happy news. It is. It is. I hope that they're doing well. I wish them the best. Well. Oh, God. Sorry. So my mom showed me a video on Facebook from Birdsong Orchards. Um, They've taken in a few pygmy goats, which are adorable, Mm -hmm. and an emu. And the emu is kind of uh, terrorizing Barack and Michelle Olama by chasing them around. And so the video is just these two llamas looking, they don't look scared, they just look like kind of generally confused, like, what is this? Because mm-hmm. I don't think they've ever seen an emu before. And the <laughs> emu is just like at them, it's like chasing them down. And oh it's just a little bit, you know, like lightheartedness of like, hopefully the llamas are doing okay. They don't seem too upset. Yeah. But sometimes we just need to watch a video of an emu trying to chase two llamas. Um, And it can be quite hilarious. Also, the Santa Cruz County Fairgrounds are a go-to animal evacuation site. And they've been updating the public about how how many animals they have. So, like, Mm -hmm. every once in a while, it'll be like, we have 300 chickens and 60 goats with 30 more on the way. And that's just also just kind of a general, like, nice little things within... Yeah. The crappy things. Just getting updates of how many animals are at the fairgrounds. I'm into that. You know, that yeah. sounds like so and much And hopefully fun. they have a... 
I think they're they're quite organized because they're they're used to handling animals. <laughs> so I'm glad that we get to look like with with everything that's going on with the fires, there are little bits of joy mm-hmm. there, you know. And I think that this kind of segues really well into the story that I have prepared next for us, which is involving like police brutality and stuff. So that's a very heavy topic, but there's still good things that are going on. You know, the fight for the end of systemic oppression of black lives, it's continuing. And every day we hear about another person murdered by police and people taking to the streets demanding that black lives be valued and black lives are kept safe. But in Berkeley, there's a nonprofit that's worked for 30 years since 1990 to monitor and catalog police violence, and during the pandemic, they've actually thrived. Berkeley Cop Watch provides training classes on documenting police activities, and they operate a database of videos on police violence. While their training seminars often had 15 to 30 people in attendance, Cop Watch's online public classes now reach about 300 people across the globe, according to an article for, uh, from the San Francisco Public Press. So um, Cop Watch co-founder, Andrea Pritchett in the article explained that one issue they've experienced in this new format is how laws change regarding like where you are in the world. They have to be very clear about like these are Berkeley's laws, this is California law, and then they have to answer questions to the best of their ability. Like they have some people that were in the Philippines and Malaysia and they were like this doesn't apply to you as much like this is this is for Berkeley you know but I think it's still good training that everyone is receiving because they're the first group to focus on filming on duty officers and their curriculum was also taught at UC Berkeley so that's pretty cool and in 2018 cop watch launched a campaign that successfully ousted UC Berkeley officer Sean Aranas who was recorded harassing homeless residents on dozens of occasions. So, like, they had um, articulated all of these videos of him and then started that campaign and then got him out, which is wild. Like, that's that's great. That's good work. People can use their database, which we're definitely going to include. Um, we're going to link on the show page to upload videos, and they can also include things like the officer's name, badge number, etc., but they can also include information on the civilians involved and then volunteers can check in with those civilians. Nice. So like this is a, a database where like people are really trying to make change happen and you can by like just, you know, people like film police brutality and then they put it on YouTube and then they put it on Facebook and Instagram and that does reach a bunch of people. But like if there's a nonprofit that's like using this data to like create change, I think it's a little bit different. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't know about that. And I think that's great. And definitely mm-hmm. something like for anybody who like for our people, our journalists and photojournalists, you know, we can we can only prepare them so much to go out into the field and report on protesting and stuff. But for mm-hmm. people who who are doing that regularly, it was it's probably a good idea to, you know, at least check out Cop Watch and see like what they mm-hmm. can learn to potentially help out because like who knows when you might be in that opportunity to be able to like help the cause with trained video surveillance. Yeah. And that's so wild to me. It's like video surveillance is now a way for us to protect ourselves because video surveillance Mm -hmm. is being taken of us constantly. So it's just really interesting. Right. Yeah. It's like, turn it, turn it back on the state. Yeah. Yeah. Turn it, turn it back. Have some like, like evidence 
uh, like hard evidence of what's going wrong because that can give you a leg up to get what you want to get done, you know? So yeah, the, this made me really happy when I found this and also like the San Francisco Free Press, great. And with everything else that's going on, you know, the conversation that we've had, you know, just the two of us and with our friends and with our loved ones, it's just, it's it's nice to see something a little bit different, you know? Yeah, definitely a positive. I'm gonna take a class. <laughs> Hell yeah. I don't leave my house, but I'll still take a class. And for the people who aren't going out, like me, who isn't leaving my house, it's still good to be informed and be able to inform others. That's kind of, yeah. as as Shay would say, that's the hill I die on, is, is inform yourself so you can inform others. That can be your your baseline for everything. Good shit. Like, good shit. Um, you know, in this podcast, we do need to address the COVID-19 crisis, because I think we wouldn't Naturally. be doing our jobs. Yeah, we wouldn't be doing our jobs as journalists if we didn't, you know? Yeah, we're not trying to sugarcoat or just, like, completely glaze over everything. We're just trying to find, mm. like, bits of light within everything mm-hmm. and address it bits all. It's light in the darkness, yep. yeah. <laughs> we want to we focus on something positive about the fight against the pandemic, or, or at least something that's not completely terrible. Um, and across the globe, countries are tackling, like, testing, preventative measures, and treatment in different ways, like scrambling to lower their numbers of cases and casualties. So in the East African country of Senegal, scientists are exploring creative ways of battling the virus, from 3D printed ventilators to mobile testing centers that return results in, like, less than 24 hours. They're also, like, testing people as they are about to leave the country. Like, there's so much going on. And a video for BBC News profiled Professor Ende Kumba Toure Ken. Uh, she's the scientific director at the Institute for Health Research, Epidemiological Surveillance, and Training. Say that five times fast. I R E S S E F. Uh, she works in the Senegalese capital of Dakar with a team of scientists, and 70% of whom yes. are women. Yes, I'm excited about that. Little Zoom victory dance. Yes, little Zoom victory dance. Uh, nobody can see it, but I'm doing the wiggle. Um, according to Professor Toure Ken, the IRESSEF has processed more than 15,000 tests, and she advocates for bringing these tests to the people that need them most, you know, like not having them centralized, like being able to bring these centers to other people. She also said that women are innate scientists, and they just need the cur- the, the best environment to thrive so I'm yeah a fan. and that really points to um sf state's lack of good environment creation in their astronomy and physics department because i am a failed astrophysics major and i'm not trying to point names and name fingers but i probably would have been a really successful astrophysicist in a nice sexy lab coat if I was given the right environment. I'm sorry. Your story's great and I'm just like <laughs> like pooping over here. <laughs> just bullshit. It's so hot. It's not a happy hour episode if we're not talking shit on SF State in some way, shape, or form. So the COVID-19 Global Response Index just listed the Senegal government's response to the virus as second out of 36 countries right behind New Zealand. We've heard a lot about how New Zealand is doing pretty well and the u.s lagged at number 31 
out of 36. Mm-hmm. So not surprised. Tells you a lot about what we're going through. Not surprising. This is an example of like a larger country. They have 15 million people in there, so that's a good amount of people, you know. And they're responding to this as quickly and as effectively as possible. Also, quick tangent, but if you don't already know, Senegal's own Akon just broke ground last week on Akon City, his $6 billion project to create a highly technologically advanced city. Um, just like a little bit, like I think it's a five minute drive from their new international airport, like outside of Dakar. And he said he hopes to create an entirely solar powered and cryptocurrency funded super city. Uh, <laughs> And I'm here for it, you know? Yeah, that's Acon, wild. you got the money, you got the time. <laughs> so he's not, like, using Bitcoin or something. It's, Mm-mm. like, a, a coin. A coin. It is a coin. It is it Okay, is you heard it here first, folks. I did not Google that. Yeah, a coin, you know? There's no, there's no other it option. It really goes to show what, you know, good leadership and good science can do. And, like, there are good scientists yeah. everywhere. It doesn't matter where they come from. Yeah. And... If you just listen to your scientists, maybe you can actually get shit done. And your scientists are women. <laughs> and there's like been studies that say that countries with female leaders are responding better to COVID than mm-hmm. countries with male leaders. Mm-hmm. And that's like on multiple countries. It's not just one or two like New Zealand and I don't know, like Germany or whatever. It's like multiple. Yeah. So the facts are there. The evidence mm. is there. I wonder why. <laughs> I'm not saying we should run a what rhymes with woo on the government, but. Oh, I just got that. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. It, was, it wasn't just the Zoom lag, but it, you know what? We can say it was the Zoom lag. We could say it was that. So. We promised you a cocktail recipe. Yes, Here is a cocktail did. recipe. Audio recorded from our kitchens, so apologies for the quality. <laughs> um, specifically in mine, because my kitchen is big and it's just echoey. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would like to bring you our summer uh, cocktail. It is a peach sangria. Yeah. Um, perfect for these hot summer days. Our Sunday uh, so sangria. So cue, roll audio, roll the cocktail. Roll it. <laughs> roll that bitch. <laughs> We are making a peach and berry sangria. So the base is white wine and peaches. Uh, We just finished chopping all the peaches. And then we also decided to, I might infuse some basil, because that felt right to me for some flavor. I forgot that I have rose. Ooh, do it. I I brought rose. So we're both like doing kind of our own um, flavor additions because, you know, we're trapped at home. Um, so I have blackberries from my backyard and we're going to make, I'm going to make a blackberry simple syrup that'll kind of go in at the end. I think that's the plan. And then Shay's going to make a blueberry strawberry, something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, my sangria is going to have peaches and strawberries that are, you know, infused. And then the syrup is going to be blueberry and rose. Ooh. Yes, I am excited. And then I also got some Prosecco to top it off. I think both of us are just doing one bottle of wine, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, I just okay, got so just some, one bottle of white wine. I got flat Chardonnay, actually. Um, Ooh, okay. And that's my base. And then I don't actually have any bubbly, so it's a, it's a flat sangria. Yeah. Um, 
I just was getting a little overboard. Mm-hmm. I got myself a Pinot Grigio. Lovely. Um, which I thought would be good with the fruits. So I'm definitely going to use the rose to uh, yeah. for, for look as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to put fresh blueberries, but I'm yes. going to strain the syrup. Yeah, I'm also going to. I think I'm going to strain the syrup as well. I think I'm ready to add my wine. I am too. Sick. I'm excited for this. Okay, wait. So let's drop in the fruits first. Mm-hmm. Let's take this baby barrel. So I have peaches, strawberries, and then I think I'm just going to use the rose as um, as decoration and mm-hmm. um, and in the syrup. So I think I'm going to keep away from that. Let's nice. see. Oh, and this is just for everybody. Um, if you can get a bottle of wine with a twist top, do top, right? <laughs> Twist top, do top. <laughs> I found this. Um, this is, I did not get a twist top, but I really easily opened this like a total pro. For the simple syrup, it's one of the easiest things to make, and it makes your drinks taste amazing. Yeah. How you make it is if you can have like hot water, then you can definitely have hot water. Um, but a lot of times, if you're infusing a simple syrup or something, it's better to do it on the stovetop. Um, and essentially it's just two parts water to one part sugar, and then you add in whatever the heck else you want to add in. <laughs> I am fully guesstimating my, um, sugar amount. My plans are, um, the sugar is in the water. That's so much sugar. And should I put a little? Okay, I'm going to add the rose in there too. I'm going to put a lid on you know something I'm just going to comment on American culture really quick because the only time we have like <laughs> the only time <laughs> that Americans have like cooked fruit is when it's like in a pie where you can have cooked fruit all the time and it's amazing you ever have a baked fruit salad no it's ridiculous the first time I had it, I was like, why did you bake this? And I was like, why do people not bake these? So, um, right now, I am squishing the blueberries a little bit. You're making like a syrup that, uh, you're going to want it to be pretty thick, so I would say boil it down like a good amount, probably to around half. Uh, the amount of water that you put in. But of course with simple syrups, like all you have to do is taste it. If, it, if you taste it and it tastes good and it's kind of thick, um, it's not like watery and bland, I want to have the syrup already in the, um, the sangria. And then what I'm going to do is top it off with some bubbly in like a champagne flute. You know? <laughs> so I'm going to let the syrup sit for tonight and then tomorrow I'm gonna mix it in yeah because I feel like the flavor is gonna be a lot better mm-hmm. the next day too should we refrigerate the sangria while it's sangriaing? it's been a while since I've made sangria yeah I think so okay this is actually just secretly an entire segment promoting simple syrup I know right so we have our syrups they're bubbling as soon as we feel they're ready, we're going to put them in um, containers and refrigerate everything. So the wine with the macerated fruit is going in the fridge. 
the syrup's going in the fridge, and tomorrow the flavor is gonna be so much better. So, tips for if you're gonna strain your simple syrup, use a tea strainer. I think I'm gonna give it a little taste. I'm gonna give it a little Good. sippy Go sippy. For it. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that is, ooh. You ever get those honey sticks? Which oh, is yeah. a stick of honey and some flavor? Yeah, that's what I used that to get those like. as a kid at the farmer's market all the time. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's what that tastes like. That is pure sugar and blueberry. This is probably one of the most beautiful drinks I've ever made. Ooh, I have my garnish to put on top, so give me just one second. Nice. Actually, everything in this other than the wine is from my garden. Peaches, blackberries, mint, and basil, and lavender are all from the garden. That's amazing. Cheers. Cheers. Holy balls. Damn. Oh, wow. I'm gonna mix mine. That's good. Mm. That's that's tasty. Mm. Y'all. Wow, that is so good. Mm-hmm. So, oh, um, for all of you that may not make cocktails, if you want to put mint in your cocktail, it's really great because it, it does give a great nose on your drink. Um, and what you do is you take a little bit of it. I did find some good mint in here. And you pinch it at the bottom, like where the, st where the stem is. And then you just hit it against something, preferably like your palm or your wrist a couple times like this. Right? And when you do that, it activates the mint so you can smell it a lot better. All right. Let's taste do you want to know how I knew that? How? How did you know that? Mixology TikTok. <laughs> God bless TikTok. Oh, man. I've learned so many things. Through mixology TikTok? Yeah, well, through TikTok in general. Like, for instance, with mixology TikTok, I've learned a lot about mixology. And then with TikTok in general, I've learned that I should delete the TikTok talk app. <laughs> anyway, we hope you enjoyed this cocktail. If you want to make it for yourself, you can find the full recipe and directions and photos on our Instagram, which is at thhpodcast. Welcome back. Oh, so such a lovely cocktail I'm recipe. You can either try it. Speak. Sipping it as we speak. You can either try it or completely ignore us. Just know that we got tipsy and it was great. Mm -hmm. Not tipsy now. That happened before. I think we yeah. have to make that clear. <laughs> yes. We didn't we didn't get up from our recording and go make a cocktail and record it. Though that would be cool cuz then I could actually be sipping be it really right fun. now. It was delicious. It was really yeah. good. And I made one for my dad, and he really liked it. And then I also made some to go, and I gave it to my friend. Social I distance gift. Yes. So make some peach sangria for your dad. Make it for your friends. Yeah. If make you have it for a yourself. jar, a mason jar to put it in, that's the real aesthetic here. Make it for yourself. Oh, um, olive oil. Olive oil bottles make great mm -hmm. to-go cocktail bottles because they already have a spout. Yes. There's my fun fact of the day. <laughs> love it. I love that. We've gotten so many good fun facts. So, yes. Malachi, I understand that you have another 
art story that you are very we're both very excited so about excited this. it was the so this next story came to me um from them magazine via a dm from shay herself on instagram um and my immediate response to it was in all caps this is what i needed to hear today so it made my day on that day and it's also making my day right now as i read it and i hope it's making your day as you listen to this so we all knew that shakespeare wasn't straight that's you know as the kids say those are the facts of course Uh, but it always feels good when something gets officially confirmed by professionals oh yeah so according to them magazine leading shakespeare scholars sir stanley wells and dr paul edmondson which let that just marinate as the most british names (laughs) you've ever heard they very i can visualize them right now i'm not trying to stereotype but i get no, yeah. I imagine they look like Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> but that's just because I've been watching a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> but go on, please, please, go on. So originally, they had sectioned up um, Shakespeare's sonnets into three sequences, referencing addresses of the poems. And the sequences were mm-hmm. um, the fair young, the rival poet, and the dark lady. But Edmondson and Wells say that that order, it doesn't really do the writing justice and the stories that some of the sonnets kind of express. Uh-huh. And they actually said that this is all coming from the them article. They also expressed that the dark lady, ex- you know, ex- sequence of yeah, poems sequence. was something made up in the 18th. 1800s so it wasn't actually original to kind of the way that Shakespeare like would have thought to publish his work yeah and so they figured well let's just do chronological order so Edmondson said that the language of sexuality and some of the sonnets which are definitely addressed to a male subject leaves us in no doubt that Shakespeare was bisexual as directly quoted from an article from the Telegraph some of the sonnets yeah. are addressed, right? <laughs> just sink, sink it. It's just so nice and just like blatant. Um, some of the sonnets are addressed to unmistakable female and male subjects. So the label of bisexual seems quite fitting. Um, mm-hmm. And Shakespeare now joins cuffed jeans as a staple of bi culture. Thank you. <laughs> I thought cuff jeans was a lesbian thing, but I I could see it being a bi thing. I mean, Shakespeare can also be a lesbian thing, so there's a lot of crossover, you know? (laughs) I'm just, this makes me so happy. It's like with every, all the bullshit going around, just someone, like two academics being like, did you know? Right? And like, it was obviously a bisexual. And it, they put so much work into this. Like they're published, they published a book of all of the sonnets, and like during their publishing of it, them finding the sonnets from different plays, they came to this conclusion. I don't actually think that they set out to prove his sexuality. Mm-hmm. I think that it mm-hmm. happened during the the you know the construction of this book. But like you know, in general, when someone goes sets out to prove something, it can be. It can always be mistaken as like, oh, well, you kind of forced the hand of the fact. Like, you don't, you know, that's not really yeah. true because you really, really wanted it to happen. Yeah. So you're kind of like twisting things in your favor. But in this case, yeah. it's just 
two British Shakespearean professionals putting together some sonnets and saying that Shakespeare was in no doubt Wait a bisexual. Second. <laughs> huh? I, I wonder what that aha moment was like when they when they finally like were like, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, that must have well, felt like my so word. Rewarding. I hope, I hope. Right. That, yeah. And there's like, I don't think there's any way for us to tell unless these two people come forward and they say, yeah, we're, we're queer too. And that's how we really picked up on this. But, you know, in my headcanon, they are. Yeah, definitely. And it's always, and I, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's when your, when your headcanon is made canon. That's exactly what's happening right now. Yes. Um, it, to use, to use a millennial Gen Z term. Um, and as like a an amateur Shakespeare person, like I've read several of the plays and a lot of them, like the ones mm-hmm. that explore gender expression, like Twelfth Night. And yeah, love I, I just really like it because, I don't know, I feel more connected to his writing and like people really get super into Shakespeare. And I'm like definitely pretty into Shakespeare. Um, yeah. And you know i just like there's so many other things from the 1600s that feel so frumpy and just like such so disconnected from today and it's nice to know that someone who wrote plays that far back in the past was just like we are today sad and bisexual just just as gay as we are just just you would study the iams of like iamic pentameter and iamic tetrameter and so like i know that now even though it's like oh, i love that kind of useless but it hey you want to know a fun yeah. fact uh macbeth is an iamic tetrameter whereas most of the other plays are an iamic pentameter but tetrameter is slightly more off-putting because pentameter is similar to our heartbeats whereas tetrameter is yeah. in threes and therefore it's a little bit more jarring and that's why macbeth is a little bit more dark and jarring to listen to Ooh, that's super fun that's super fun you know what i've been thinking about the entire time that we've been talking about this story too is how shakespeare Mm -hmm. would have loved the 90s baz lerman romeo plus juliet Mm -hmm. it would have been his jam lost his shit it would have been his (laughs) jam just like it, it's every other queer's jam. Mercutio coming out and singing, uh, what is that song? Oh my God, I need to remember it now because I, if I don't remember it, I'm going to be so upset. Um, oh, it's young hearts run free. That one. Never mm-hmm. be lonely, hung up like my man and me. Oh, oh, so good. So good. <laughs> that like no, solidified that. my love for Baz Luhrmann. Oh. Yeah. Uh, okay. And that leads us into our last call. Shaylin, what's made you happy this week? What has made me happy this week? What has made me happy? I should really prepare this. I absolutely don't have anything prepared. It. The reason why I decided to call up last call is because I wanted you to go first. <laughs> um, I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I have a kitten now. Yes. Um, she's like four baby. months old now, and I love her dearly. Mm-hmm. She's a demon. She is a baby. She is so small. She's so tiny, and she is so evil. The funny thing is, when anybody comes over to the house, she's so gentle, and like, she's she's a baby, so right, she likes to nibble. So she just like little nibble, nibble, nibble on these people, and then when she comes to me, she's like. <laughs> 
and she's attacking my toes. I get scratches. She sleeps on my face and almost <laughs> suffocates me. But you know, that's mm-hmm. life as a cat owner. As a cat mom, you just deal with the fact that yep. they're trying to kill you. And you me. love them nonetheless. I know that if I die, she would eat me. And that's okay. Because she would survive, and that's what matters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's... um. That's what's been making me happy. I also, you know, getting back into this swing of things with work has been has been really good for like my uh, my mental health, you know, like because being stagnant for too long, like really, really does like put things it, it you kind of lose perspective. You start to like dissociate. You're like, oh, what even is anything? But now like having a set school schedule is really helping me to then like stay yeah. on top of it, you know? What about you, Malachi? What is making you happy this week? Well, I think also I'm going to pivot off of that too. Just, you know, working on stuff and, you know, being able to work with other people and have projects to work on is making me happy. Um, but also, we are such I don't. Capricorns. What's wrong I know, with us? right? What is I just wrong love with work. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but another thing that I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast is um, Shaylin and I play D&D together. I'm IDM, and, and Shaylin oh, yeah. is a, a dutiful, uh, fantastic character in my ever changing story. Um, but what makes me happy is just preparing that. Um, we had a session on Monday. Did we? I think so. That was Monday. Mm -hmm. Wow. We had a session on Monday. I ran out of material. So now I get to go back and continue writing the story for my players. And it just makes me happy because A, I get to completely check out of reality and, you know, get into some fun stuff and read some books and just feel Mm -hmm. like a general nerd. And, you know, I'm making my own world. It's a homebrew. So I am literally the boss. I control everything and it's a real good power trip as well so that's what's currently making me happy <laughs> oh my goodness yeah and and i'm i'm surprised that i didn't bring this up because that's honestly been keeping me sane. it's all about theater of the mind oh yeah. yeah i mean all we need is a set of dice and our own imagination <laughs> and i have my dad who's also a dm and i play in his game and like you know, I'm talking like we'll be in the kitchen talking about it and my sister will come in and she'll be like, oh, hey, what's you guys talking about? And I'll be like, yeah, well, so I was thinking that the monk could come in and then my sister will be like, I'm going to just leave. She'll leave the room. So, you know, we've isolated ourselves within the family. Uh, me and my dad were it's just us. Both my mother and my sister are absolutely fed up with how much time we spend talking about Dungeons and Dragons. But it's OK because we're having fun and that's what matters. This has been The Happy Hour, your palate cleansing podcast for the week. I hope you've enjoyed some of our choice palate cleansing stories. We will be back with some more in the future, as well as some uh, continuations of good and solid, important conversations with people um, from the school and beyond Mm -hmm. as we move forward in our last semester of college. Last semester, you and I, yeah, fully online last semester of college. You know, continue giving you these these happy stories within all of the bullshit, but then also giving you a chance to like hear some different perspectives on what's going on as well to cleanse your palate with a new perspective. Yes, yes, it's she feels me. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, We will see you soon. 
The Happy Hour podcast is a collaboration between the Golden Gate Express newspaper and Express Magazine at SF State. Thank you to Armand Billamoria for our theme music. Yes, he is a master. Indeed. See when we see you. See you when we see you. Cheerio.